Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, Restaurant Wars. This is the episode we all wait for. The good folks at Top Chef have moved it up. It is now a 12-contestant contest with three restaurants, not an eight-contestant contest. 
with two restaurants. Holy cow, what chaos. Madness. It is madness. And usually with restaurant orders, we kind of have a really good feeling about each chef's strengths and weaknesses. And that's us at home because it's usually eighth episode and we're at Top Chef season 16, episode four. And I feel like the contestants probably are just like us. Like, hmm, I don't really know everyone's strength and weaknesses. And that makes for really, really chaotic restaurant wars. Let's quickly run through the quick fire because I think everyone wants to get to restaurant wars. I, I looked at the quick fire, which was to create a mousse bouche. It's sort of just a quick check in with each chef. Where are they in their game? Um, you know, it, it tells you, it gives you a little window going into restaurant wars, maybe a level of confidence, their creativity. Uh, they are asked to do an amuse bouche, which is a you know the, the small bite you get kind of in a nice restaurant, uh, maybe on a, a tasting menu place. Uh, it, it's just nothing more than a spoon or a quick dish or a shot of, of, of like a scoop or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, all twelve contestants come up with something. Um, uh, each are given kind of the format, whether it's a spoon or a little saucer or whatever. Uh, and, and we had um we had three interesting winners finish on top. Uh, we we had um. We had Eric, who I have insisted continues to pump out maybe some of the best food quality average, but just hasn't really finished on on top yet. Got a nice, a lot of good comments on his curry corn bisque with pancetta and a, and a mint gremolata, which is interesting because I never think about mint as sort of something you would mix with curry. And it just apparently they loved it. A little caviar in there did very well. And uh, who else do yeah. we have finishing on top? Uh, we had... Um we had Michelle. Uh, she came in with the halibut ceviche, which with the compressed watermelon, because I guess that was also Brian's pick and she beat him to it. She won the watermelon wars and uh, with a nice salsa water, getting back to sort of, you know, it was funny. I mean, Michelle had sort of a little uh, a little ebb in that second, third episode, but she seems back with a vengeance. I still think she's one of the best chefs on the mm-hmm. board and then and pasta wait 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 michelle didn't do any pasta on this one and she won with it which is i think a really big uh compliment for for michelle and a good sign that it, it isn't that she's a one-trick pony she well, can I, come in here and do a crudo a ceviche uh and it doesn't have to be pablo with a ceviche he can do uh she can do both the pasta and these really delicate flavors and i thought that was uh technically and just from a conceptual standpoint really really impressive well and we kind of learned a lesson about pasta in a quick fire right because david gets out over his skis has a lot of confidence has gotten a lot of recognition the first few weeks decides he's gonna do um a pasta and it just fails he actually ends up on the bottom three kind of knew it knew it about 15 minutes in uh, he he'd overcommitted, so you mm-hmm. know he he finished on the bottom along with um, along with Kelsey, uh, who's hush puppy. It was more of an appetizer, I think, than an amuse, and apparently dry. And uh, got too big of a bite. Too, too big, big of, a, of bite. a bite. Too big of a bite. It should be a bite. And um, and who who else finished at the bottom there? Oh, Adrian. Uh, what is more unappealing than the raw skin of a bell pepper? Yeah, that like, was it, it a really awful. confusing dish. That was that was not I, I that was a moment Kevin where I was like, "Ooh, maybe Adrian, can I somehow get Kevin to take Adrian off my hands on my team because that was like that was that was a moment with the raw lamb tartare, right? There's not much prep that it, that's in, included in a lamb tartare and then you do uh, the raw pepper and I'm sitting there like, "Man, I would not want that dish." What, and, and here's my question. 
I mean, first of all, nobody likes a raw pepper skin. Why not just make it a little easier? Do like a potato, like a togarashi potato chip and just let it sit on there. You know, like like lamb tartare is wonderful. Like don't yep. wrap it in that that thing that it looks like, you know, look like fiberglass. Uh, Brandon also got rec- recognized for a basically a dish that is my dream dish, <laughs> uh, an English pea broth scallop chowder just that is that is my kind of food and so it was good to see brandon get off the schneid uh do something pretty do something delicate do something that just tasty great combination i love english pea anything by the way and and this was taped i think during the late spring so you got um you had a lot to work with some great produce late spring is a wonderful time for cooking uh so anyway yeah michelle comes out of there with a w which uh more importantly tom gives her immunity for what is one of the most intense challenges that we see each season. Yeah, and usually in uh, restaurant wars, Kevin, there is no immunity because they got to get going. They don't re- they skip the quick fire altogether and just go right into uh, the elimination challenge slash restaurant wars. So this actually um, was kind of uh, a historical event on Top Chef. There's only one other time that I can find that there was immunity granted heading into a restaurant wars. And it was in season eight, the top chef all-stars Dale Talde won the quick fire and the late Anthony Bourdain rest in peace, gave him the win uh, for the quick fire challenge over say the likes of Richard blaze and uh, Fabio. It was, it was an all-star cast. Well, I, I, I would love to remember what the dish was. Oh, it's it a, was like, I'll eat a egg like, yolk on top. It's great stoner food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, it was like a it was like a cobia collar or some sort of collar. Actually, the 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 challenge was the the seafood uh, preparer at La Bernadette who had to uh, he came on and watched everybody take down a fish or basically like um, you know fillet a fish and. They you had to use the parts of the fish for their quick fire and Dale, Dale Talde won it with this uh, really delicious kind of like soup, uh, brothy uh, collar dish. And Dale Talde, you know what he did? He got the captain of one of the restaurant wars. And this is fascinating. He had the choice of who could who was going to captain the other team. And you know who he picked? Who? Marcel. It was oh, that's brilliant. interesting. It was brilliant. It was a he was like, you know what? I'm going to pick the guy who I least want on my team. He picked Marcel to captain the other team and then they did a draft and everybody, as Richard Blaze said on the Top Chef All-Stars, I watched a little bit of it this morning. Uh, he's like, I, I kind of like hid during the draft. I didn't want him to select me. I was kind of like that kid in class who uh, realized he didn't do the homework and is just like slouching in his chair, hoping he did not be called on. And sure enough, um, he doesn't get called on. He's on team D- Dale Talde. And what happens? They win the elimination challenge. They win, win restaurant wars. And guess who goes home on the other team? I Marcel. Uh, so Marcel got totally screwed by Dale Talde. Great, great gamesmanship. You know, the chess moves were moved and Dale Talde won with immunity. Um, Richard Blaze actually won the elimination challenge. He got the prize. But Dale, with the immunity going into the restaurant wars, selected Marcel, who went home. So that's the basically the history of what we have here in Top Chef Season 16, Michelle going with the immunity and you know it's kind of fascinating what she what she decided to do and maybe we'll get into that with our special guest 
Uh, maybe we will. Uh, we will be joined by Hershey Ash later, restaurant consultant, good friend of the show, uh, Spurs fan, and uh, we we will we will look forward to that briefly. Let's just before we bring Hershey on, let's just kind of yes. set it up. Let's just set up the three teams, not two. Uh, yep. We have the orange team, which is Eddie, Eric, Adrian, and Brian. Brian choosing to do front of the house. Adrian, who is a pro expediter, uh, comes in as as, as executive chef. Uh, she's going to do dessert, but but kind of obviously kind of run the show the first couple of rounds. Blue team, Tom, the happiest place on earth, at least going into it. And, oh and, and yeah, quite a lineup, don't you think, in terms of the the the, the roster there? Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> the team bubbly, team team jacuzzi. What do we want to call these folks? Um. It, it, it's uh i i like i like team team whirlpool yeah that that, that works <laughs> team, team whirlpool uh sipping on some champagne in the jacuzzi uh just the, who, life is who, great who do, we, who do we got on on team uh third coast that was that was nini kelsey david and justin uh i don't think there's a bad chef in there or i mean they're all plus uh this so far this season nini gets the front of house she feels comfortable doing that Kelsey says, "Go for it." Uh, David and Justin sit back and let it go, and they're, they they just By the seem way, who like who is the exec? Chef? I feel like I never really learned who was named exec chef. There is it by I committee. Think it was Ke- I think it was Kelsey. Um, I think it was Kelsey. That would make because- sense because she only has the blackberry buttermilk biscuit. Yeah, I feel okay. like she was calling the shots. Um, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed like in the in the actual action, uh, it seemed like she was more of in a leadership role uh, back there in the kitchen. But uh, they were just chilling in the jacuzzi, uh, laid back while everyone was stressing out over restaurant wars. They were at a spa. Then we have the great team. Thistle is going to be their place. Uh, Sarah is going to do front. Michelle with immunity goes exec chef, which is interesting. Um Pablo is going to do both entrees, which is uh, pretty ambitious. And then they got Brandon on dessert and uh, kind of wise man. Uh, it was very interesting. And we'll talk about this. Uh, another car and sort of gossiping while they were running around doing errands kind of were, were speculating that, that Pablo's stubbornness might get him in trouble on the great team and that Brandon was called by Kelsey really freaking smart. And I think we're starting. I have turned 180 on Brandon. Seems like a rationalist. Uh, you know, again, I, I don't know if he's one of the five most talented chefs in the group, but uh, it continues to dispense smart advice in a rational way. Yeah, and I thought um, the the first episode, it kind of felt like they were painting him as the villain. But if you didn't watch the first episode, I think Brandon would seem like just a regular uh, top uh, contender here. Um, With a nice smile. Yeah, with a nice smile and gives really, really thoughtful, uh, you know, strong advice. And so you would actually have the opposite feeling where uh, you think that he was very helpful um, and he didn't he didn't. If you just watched the first episode, you'd be like, oh, if it's Restaurant Wars and Brandon is alive, he is definitely going to be the executive chef. There is no way that he is either. He's going to be a line cook uh, for Restaurant Wars. He's going to be the alpha. He's going to want to be front of house or executive chef. And that's not really the case here. And I thought that was kind of telling about Brandon's growth in this epi- in this season where it just feels like whatever first impression we had of Brandon, he has totally shed that skin. Right. And by the way, again, uh, he's been empowering Michelle to kind of really be louder, which I think is a good kind of coach move. Uh, gave some advice to Pablo to, to sort of reduce the workload, maybe braise the apples uh, in his dish. Pablo's a little concerned that would, um, you know, kind of 
sort of eliminate some of the acidity that you need for the dish. We're going to be very interesting to see. We'll, we'll, and we'll talk to we'll talk to Hershey shortly. Uh, Sarah at front of the house. Uh, but but as as we go in and as we bring Hershey on, uh, the chaos is just starting to bubble up, and uh, what is shaping to be kind of a very interesting contest. And the happiest team on earth, by the way. Uh, as the yes. restaurant is about to open, you know, it, it's kind of like the NBA, Tom. Nobody thinks they're a dysfunctional team when they arrive at training camp, right? Everybody thinks this is this is the year we, we've sort everyone's of undefeated. Everyone's Everybody, undefeated. Everyone's undefeated. Everyone thinks they've got a locker room that's going to work. No one ever thinks they're in, uh, they have chemistry issues until they actually arrive. Uh, let's bring on Hershey Ash. Let's do it. joined now by friend of the show Hershey Ash who is a professional restaurant consultant the guy we go to to really get into the weeds on restaurant wars he knows things we do not welcome back good afternoon good afternoon or good evening good afternoon gentlemen how are you all doing exceptionally well yeah i'm excited i got a lot of notes here i don't know if i can read them all because my handwriting is very serial uh, murderer at the moment but we'll give it oh, a, we'll you, give it a bill you? it looks like one of Bri- it looks like brian's service guide Yes, yes. I was just gonna say that. I'm so glad you picked up on that. Uh, let's let's start from the top here. Um, Restaurant Wars, three restaurants for twelve people. Uh, you've been watching this Top Chef season, so you know everybody. Uh, what is going to be the difference between you know your eight weeks into a Top Chef have have to open two restaurants versus you're just four weeks into it. And you have to open up a restaurant. Um, what did you think about just the idea of having three restaurants versus two and that whole change up for this season? So the first thing I like is doing it early. And it's just really just human nature. So we meet people and we're polite, right? And you're nice. Yep. And then as you get to know them, you learn that you don't like them and the niceties go away. So they're still in that early stage of where everyone's trying really hard to be nice to each other, which is false. So that that actually makes very entertaining time to do it early, you know, before people have worked out who they really do or don't like, or perhaps they have, but it certainly looks like it. I also think the other thing can, I'll take the, this is like a little sideways answer, but I want to get to this off the top. Because I, you know, big fan of the show, as you guys know, but your show in particular, the pod. And I heard you guys discussing last week how, you know, pastry chefs are a bit unfair of a challenge to give a chef, you know, because it's not necessarily in their wheelhouse. I think Kevin said that. And I do agree with that. I do think, though, with Restaurant Wars, I understand it's very entertaining and it's fun to watch. I don't really know. Does it matter if a chef has front of house skills? In fact, I think it doesn't matter at all. So I think so many of the challenges that they're going to come up against are possibly a little bit unfair for judging them as chefs, uh, especially, this is my first hot take on it, the producers clearly sabotaged the hell out of them by the start that they provided are useless, just useless. Okay. I want to have a question for Tom. Do you know, can we go back through the analytics? When people get eliminated, are they typically either the exec chef or front of the house? Do I have that correct? Yes, this is a great question, Kevin, and I'm going straight to the tape at TopChefStats.com. The proprietor at TopChefStats.com, she came on to the the show last year, Lynn. You can find her at Lynn and Tonic. That is a play on gin and tonic, so L-Y-N-N-A-N-D-T-O-N-I-C. Shout out to Lynn. Bless you, Lynn. Bless you. 
she is uh, just an, an angel for putting together Top Chef analytics, basically. And in her Restaurant Wars section, Hershey, there were 30 total restaurants and there had been 15 eliminations. OK, so 15 eliminations of those eliminated roles. Six of them were executive chef. Five of them were front of house and four of them were the line cooks. And that is interesting for a couple of reasons. One is there's multiple line cooks every season. So like there's there's a disproportionate number of line cooks that don't get eliminated so that's the safe route. it's almost really like it's almost like two if you want to really break it down right like yes. two line cook number one and two line cook number twos right and there's really um so if if you want to get eliminated you don't want if you don't want to get eliminated you don't want to be the exec exec chef however if you want to win the executive chef has five wins. The front of house has four wins and the line cooks have five wins. So if you cut that in half, right. uh, it's like two and a half wins for line you're, one. You're let, your half is likely to win if you were a line chef uh, versus an exec chef basically. Right. Or, so or, in other words, 73% of the executive chefs either are eliminated or win. Then 60% of the front of house either are eliminated or win. And then just 30% of the line cooks either are eliminated or winning. So if you want to have uh, the high risk, high reward position, it's the executive chef. And that kind of makes sense. Doesn't it Hershey? I think it does. I think that that is where they should be judged. I mean, I think game theory would tell you that the best place to be then is the line cooks now, yes. because no harm, no foul. You, you, you live to, you live to fight another week. But I think, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think, listen, this is maybe getting off track and giving my opinion, but I think they can still have a super interesting and dramatic show if they were to turn up and say, cool, each team gets an experienced front of house person and a team that his or her has worked with before in a restaurant. And then therefore we're just looking at their capabilities to run a kitchen, which is really what, it, what we're right, worried about. It's almost like a hitter too. is now being asked to pitch. Yeah. Or, you're saying it's or, just not really part of their uh, repertoire their, as a chef. Their skill set. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it really, you really see it when that's not to say the better analog is this. The better analog is do you remember when Dwight Howard told us he was rehabilitating his career because he was learning how to shoot threes? And we all said, <laughs> there's no need, there's no need for you to do that, Dwight. We need you to, I don't know, make fart jokes and stand on the post. So, and, and so, and, and rebound. So, um, so the perfect analog to that is i believe his name is, is that brian the the pompadour fellow yes. who yes. said that he stayed up all night to write a reservation book plan it's yes. just so i watched that with my wonderful wife uh bridget and she looked over me because she's heard me complain many 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 times over many years about chefs who have to come in and give their opinion on reservation books it's just horrifying but it is it's exactly that it's can you give you can you give us a 101 on what a res, uh, reservation book is? Yeah, sure. So a reservation book is what is well a reservation book is essentially where you take all the reservations and you assign them into the times that they're coming in. But what he would be referring to is if you ask a chef how many tables he would like to seat at seven o'clock, for example, he will tell you one. And then he would like to see another table at 7.30 maybe. And then maybe a third table at eight o'clock. Now, obviously that's not a very good way to make money in a restaurant, but it's also not a very good way to draw atmosphere. And so if you ask front of house, they like to, you know, get a lot of tables in so that there's atmosphere. To me, that's immediately a red flag. A chef who's like, he's harbored all this ill will over years, you know, jealous that he hasn't been able to, um, assign minimal, you know, too, too, too spaced out is probably a better way to put it. Um, and so the notion of him staying up all night 
A, to write and, uh, steps of service, which he never taught, uh, and then also to put together a reservation book is horrifying to me because really that's, again, that's Dwight shooting threes. Like I don't know if anyone really wants that. All right, so it's interesting to me. I would actually modify – I still think there's value in a, a chef knowing how to manage. But what if they brought in like servers from their history that they've worked with? Like, like that, yeah, that would be a cool thing. Like, and not everybody, they can still have some incompetence, but maybe like have we, you know how they kind of will, will present a surprise sous chef sometimes, yeah. like some yeah. person you're, you work with or mom or whatever. Your boss yeah. or whatever. Wouldn't that yeah. be cool if they just sort of said, Hey Brian, here's the guy you worked with in wherever he lives, Boston or whatever. I reckon, wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. And you can see how they work in relationships. And then the challenges, I mean, I guess we're rewriting the show here, but then the challenges could be certain you know, difficult customers or certain difficult situations and challenging them that way. I don't know, just a thought. Yeah. Well, I imagine uh, it's kind of like a coach coming into the, se- into the season and having like a playbook that is that is like the Bible, just like hundreds and hundreds of pages and expecting every one of the, the players to memorize it before the game. And then the game rolls out and they realize, oh, no, one of my guys is hurt. And then the other guy has to fill in in this position. And uh, now or, I have to or, improv. Or it's, and or it's Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, where it's just uh, maybe he's not going to pay attention and, and go with the play calls. So I think uh, what would you have done? Let's say you are on his team. You are either Adrian, Eddie or Eric and you see that Brian is, yes, taking a leadership leadership role, which is nice in, in, in writing out this whole plan. But how would you coach him to say or what would you say to him to be like, hey, actually, I love the effort, but let's channel this in a different way? Yes. I mean, you pretty much do what you just said. And and the way to channel is to say, look, all we're trying to do is make sure that everyone that comes in here has a good time and eats good food. And that seems really reductive, but that's what it is. So focusing on the minutiae of the steps and of the procedure and the step by step will get you away from... I guess the 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 warmness and the enjoyment of it and takes it into this very cut and dry thing, which to be fair, very cut and dry steps and service can work if you have a month or two with the individuals in question that you can go through this. So the smarter thing to do is to say, look, these people are coming in. It's not as important to them as it is to me, which is a reality for, for owners of restaurants everywhere. In fact, you know, you, no one ever cares about your own restaurant as much as you do, right? Even the most dedicated staff member. So the way for them to look at it is no one cares about me winning this challenge as much as we do, the people on the team. These people have come in, they're going to work, they're going to have a bit of fun, maybe they're going to get on television. Let's keep it fun. Let's keep it light. Let's keep it really, really simple. And that's something that they can execute and something we can execute. You know, to take the basketball analogy that 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 uh, that Kevin just used, it would be the coach just got fired. I'm, I'm taking over a new team. I'm not going to run really, really complex hammer sets. We're just going to come in and do a lot of high screen roll and, you know, work it out that way. All right. So, uh, Hershey, now that you've seen the episode and yes. they've set the table, so to speak, Give me your top red flags. What, you're watching the orange, blue, and gray teams. What is just standing out to you as the most combu- – rank your most combustible situations going into next week? Okay, so I, I love this question. I'm so happy you asked it. So these are, these are – they're going to be like random red flags, I guess. Maybe these apply to the show. Maybe they don't. What no thing partic- made your skin crawl the most? Uh, oh, there's actually something that made my throat crawl. So that like specifically, so let's, I'll go with skin crawl was first note here. Pablo is the chef from your old hometown, Tom, I believe. Mm -hmm. This is what my note says. Can't handle a strong woman. 
So uh, <laughs> I believe that his head chef was who's his, his head who's his head chef Michelle. Uh, well, Michelle. she's not, but Sarah's kind of uh, sort of the the oomph behind that team, right? Yes. Right. So he got very, very, you know, we see this a lot, unfortunately, in a number of industries, yeah, but we see this a lot in our industry. So to me, that's a major red flag. It, it, it's obviously an indictment. You know, I'm, 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 I don't know, I'm stereotyping here perhaps of him, but it, it's an indictment of him as a professional because you need to be able to take direction from, doesn't matter, the gender. Uh, but I think it's also very combustible in that situation because at some point his – if I'm guessing right, if he's, he's going to have problems, he's going to have problems taking direction from the person he needs to take direction from. The other thing that made my throat crawl was whoever's decision it was to name a restaurant Thistle. Oh. God almighty. Can I read you something quickly? Because I did a little bit of prep. This is from the Old Farmer's Almanac on the website. Uh, <laughs> the Scottish Thistle sports purple flowers and prickly leaves and has become the national emblem of Scotland. Legend has it that in the 10th century, the invading Danes gave themselves away by their screams when they tried to steal away barefoot through a dry moat full of thistles. Thistles are like uncomfortable. They sting. Why are you naming your restaurant after something like that? That's a red flag for me. It's a very stylistic red flag. It's like naming a porcupine. Ridiculous. Um, The, you know, I don't, I don't, this is, this is a personal thing. You know, this is, uh, we'll probably get pushback on this. I just don't trust a chef who's obsessed with front of house as much as Brian is. I just don't. That concerns me. So that's a major red flag in terms of that team's ability. Because, I mean, it goes back to the the Dwight analogy. Um, You should really, if you are looking for things that are outside your lane, that are, you're an obsession with, it tells me that you have no concentration and focus on the thing that you should be an expert at. So that line last week that he used about, oh, I'm a butcher, what do I know about, um, about dessert? So that's a double-edged sword, right? You can say that that's acceptable or you can say it as like, well, then why are you on Top Chef? Why don't you on Top mm-hmm. Butcher? You know, so it kind of it, it it kind of indicates this is not top scallop. It is not top butcher. Yeah, either. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. So you know, there are elements of for me. It, that's a thing I don't trust. It it tells me that you're looking for distraction instead of being able to focus on the thing that you want to focus on. You know, a chef should say to me, "I don't want to be front of house." A chef should say to me, "I want to be a chef." I think right, right. However, like I feel. I feel for Brian in the sense that front of house is the only one who's outside of that bubble in the kitchen. And I know that chef is supposed to be in the kitchen, but the idea is this is restaurant wars. And if you can imprint your understanding and your concept of a restaurant on the judges, you can win this challenge. If you want to set the mood and set the the menu and set the, uh, the reservation book, that to me is an indication that you are trying to wrap your arms around this elimination challenge and you want to win it. Yeah, Hirsch, I want to push back a little bit. Um, okay. all right, so there are a couple considerations. One is someone has to do it. Uh, someone has to do it. Uh, secondly is I, I think we've seen in this show in hell. I mean I, as somebody who eats out um, – as somebody without children, I get to eat out pretty much, you know, three, four times a week. Like, like I, it seems like, you know, when you walk in to a, uh, to use the NBA analogy, it's, it's, it's like walking into a locker room with good culture. And I do, I have seen on the show that a calming influence, someone and look, I, these are poorly equipped servers. They're, they're, they're not professionals, but I, I, we have seen that a calm over a storm can really enhance the restaurant's appeal. 
and and we've it's seen it true. season in, season in, and season out. I mean, I've been to places where you were sort of, you know, you know, sort of makeshift in an emergency busy night watching you run the front of the house. It, it's just you get the utmost confidence. I'm not going to say the food tastes better, but man, you're just it's so nice not to have to look over your shoulder to know that there's somebody out there. You know, if they see me looking for a server, immediately intervenes, comes in. Can I get you more wine? They identify what it is I'm looking for, whether it's I need the check. And I, I do feel like like it, it does. Maybe I mean, maybe I'm misinterpreting you. I just feel like it does have some import, particularly on this show where the restaurant really doesn't have any infrastructure. It's just like it's a one off. No, so don't misunderstand me. The, the role, the position is extremely important. What that's that's what I'm saying, because because it is so important, it almost sort of diminishes the expertise on it to kind of pull someone from an expert in a different area. Oh, that, yeah, that, yeah. Okay, does that make I, sense? I, I got you. Yeah, but so, I'm not diminishing. I mean, it's literally what I've had made a career off. So, all right. So here, here's my thing. Here's my thing with Brian. If you're going to be front of house and you're going to write this big old book, hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. You got to nail your actual prep. Right. You got to nail it so that you can do your job. And that's what he didn't do right here is that he thought he could get the chicken skin in there and he spent way too much time on. He was in the car. He said, I'm very confident I can execute that dish in the amount of time, even though they were like, "Uh, are you sure? Are you sure? And so that was that was a mistake that is going to engender all sorts of animosity. You saw it with Adrian where it was like, are you kidding me? That's right. All right. By the way, that Ballantine is going to be good. I'm predicting. And secondly, I, I, I got to tell you, of the three teams, like I'm not worried about his front of the house nearly as much as Nini. By the way, I mean, yeah. let's just talk about Nini for a second. At this moment in the contest, she is the best chef. She oddly chooses front of the house. Now, I get the sense she's a little bit of a control freak, and I mean that as a compliment as a fellow control freak, okay? Uh, so I, I think there is a sense of, okay, I, I want to make sure that the trains run on time out there. I have experience. I'm going to do it. But she's basically getting out of the kitchen where she has robbed the competition 
essentially doing nothing but a cocoa nib sorbet. Who cares? God, I mean, I do not care. And she's doing a shitty job. Like there isn't a front of the house as we go into the second part of the episode next week that is more in chaos than the blue team sipping champagne and in a bubble bath 12 hours earlier. Like she's not, I mean, Kelsey's having to come out from the executive chef position to do anything she can for in service of damage control. And Nini's back there doing her, I don't know, her icicles. Like it, it's just, I am floored. She's in trouble, Tom. She's in trouble. trouble. She is in big, big trouble. trouble. They're going to be two people eliminated. They better hope that that snapper and duck that David is doing steals the show. Because I got to tell you, like if that team's on the chopping block, it ain't going to be because the blackberry buttermilk biscuit ain't good. It's going to be because Nini is a freaking disaster. And and you can see Kelsey just like uh, clumped. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, I think that that team's going down and I will say he's, he's my, my hot take. I loved the, the spa bath night before thing. I actually think that that's how you should go into it. Relax. The, ca- the caviar actually, and bubbly. Yes. It's, it's very, yeah, sp- I mean, the very spurs. I like that. No, that's very, thank you. That's right. It's, that's right. <laughs> It's very spurs. That's right. Having what did they have dinner after game six, but after that, that the Ray Allen shot. But I think it's kind of, um, I think it's, I actually like that. I think that's the way to go into it. Be relaxed. It's going to be stressful tomorrow. You get as much sleep as you can to keep the stress down. I'd like that. I agree with you. I think the, the disorganization from Nini and she also, if you notice, was very, very obsessed where tables and chairs were going, which it, that's 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 what it's, it's certainly edited that way. The the time she spent being obsessed with where the table and chairs are going was the time she lost preparing yes. them on the menu or giving them information. What and again, should she have done? What should she have done instead of obsessing over the arrangement of the chairs? What could she have done that would have been a better use of her time? Well, I think obviously you know going through so. The, you know, the, the most amount of time and effort for those restaurants, you, you have to identify with a restaurant. Every restaurant's different. You have to identify what's the story, what's the thing you're putting the most amount of time and effort into. That's what you need to communicate to the customer. So for them, obviously, the most time and effort is going into the food, right? Because they don't have anything. I mean, they spent 10, 20 minutes with this interior got designer. Third Coast, right? Third Coast uh, is their theme. Right. I don't really know if there's a real like narrative that, they, that she has to address. No, but they spent a massive amount of time on the actual food itself, on the dishes, right? So she, what she really wants is her service to be able to communicate all that time, effort that was put into and consideration into the dishes. And that's very simply done by going through the menu and, exp- and having explain what the thinking and the thought behind the dishes. Because the reality is that's what you're expressing and that's what you're expressing to the judges. And to have a server be able to say, oh, it's you know this item, the reason why they chose this item is it reflects this, is a lot more important than, oh, that table looks different over there to over there. I would think in the context of the competition. I'm, we have that be we fair have to re- say? We haven't really talked about Michelle's team so much. Um, I I got a lot of thoughts on that. Okay. So the great team Thistle beyond the name of the restaurant. So you have Pablo, Sarah, Brandon, and Michelle, right? Yeah. Michelle decides to jump on the grenade to take, quote, take the pressure off of the others to be the executive chef. Now, I don't know if you knew the analytics of the executive chef, whether they win or get eliminated and how – it is jumping on a grenade. But if you had someone who had immunity on your team and you're Hershey, you're, you're, you're saying, okay, I got to, I got to arrange these roles in the most likely chance of me winning. 
where do you put the person with immunity who has no cost to bad mistakes? Yeah, that's a good question. I'd actually put them on front of house, I guess, if you're saying game theory, you know, because mm-hmm. that's that's the area where you expect every chef to be the weakest at, so to speak, obviously, because they're experts in the kitchen. My concern with her being head chef is not, you know, it's it, yes, that's true. That I, I I didn't know that analytics, but that makes sense that she's most likely to be uh, voted off the island, as it were. But or voted on like you're you're essentially like maybe she had some intuitive sense that the executive chef has the most power, has the most influence, and therefore I'm going to relieve them of that inf- that, that, that that. But you know, you know, I'm going to throw something out here, Tom. Do you know who is the loser in the scenario of Michelle being executive chef? The rest of the team. Well, that's the thing. If they end up one of the two teams and it's not Michelle because she they goes to the next. In other words, those three teammates, Tom, have greater probabilities of elimination than anybody else in the tournament because there's a two and three chance that that team is on the bottom. If they're on the bottom, normally the exec chef, you're telling me, is the target. Well, if the executive chef is not the target, who's next in line? I would argue that the Paducah Jew is being Sarah is being the, persecuted, yeah. as is in the long <laughs> in the long tradition of the people. And because because <laughs> if Michelle is it to blame, and it's like a, it's a food disaster, we're going to take down. Well, no, I got immunity. All right, who's next? Who's next? I would I would. I, I would push back on a couple of things. First of all, my resume would seem to suggest that Jewish people don't have a problem getting jobs in this industry. Okay. But also, <laughs> but also, I mean, obviously, I'm joking. But also, I actually think she isn't doing any. Wait, can we qualify for, for sensitive listeners? Oh, yeah. I, I'm Jewish. Her, her, just, just not only are you Jewish, you grew up in a Chabad household. Yeah, Orthodox. Yes. Yeah, but but I did not perform as well in my Jewish day school as one Kevin Arnovitz. So that's also fair. Okay. Very fair. You, you, were, you were the star pupil. But I, the the thing to keep – no, but I think she's actually not doing any favors at all to her team because, yes, that's true. Perhaps you jumped on the proverbial grenade, fine. But there's also it's, – it's not just the grenade. There's also a function to being the head chef, right? There's, there's the whole dance of pulling everything together at once that now that person has the responsibility. It's not just a grenade. It's a responsibility to make her ta- team win. And I don't see her, and particularly the volume of her voice – as being something that's helpful for them to be able to do very well. I don't find it to be a particularly forceful and strong uh, uh, head chef in terms of using her voice, and I see that as being problematic. And then, interesting enough, I think they have the little you know preview of next week where that comes up. I, I see that as being problematic. So I don't see her as helping the team at all. I see her as actually hurting them because I don't have a lot of faith, and I'm happy to be proven wrong by you know next week, but I don't have Again. a lot of faith in her ability to – to pull it all together on, on behalf of the team. Are you overstating Again, that? I'm surprised. Can she like, like speak soft and carry a big stick, as she says? I mean, if the stuff I, is, I'm ju- not. Yeah, I'm not really talking about the volume of the voice. I'm talking about using the voice. So you have to be assertive, and everyone has to hear you. So if you shout, then people aren't going to listen to you because you're shouting. So talking too loud is problematic too. I just don't see her as being that kind of assertive person. And I'm again, I'm more than happy to be proven wrong here. I just don't see her in the way that like who's, who's on her team. Like, okay, Sarah, you mentioned, or like a Kelsey is very good at using her voice. I think what's the Silicon Valley fellow. I think he has a very, Brandon is on the team. Brandon is on, on Michelle's team. Well, there you go. That's right. So Sarah or Brandon would probably have been a better person to go ahead and and use their voice. I would imagine on that team. So I I actually, I, I, I think, 
it's possible that she was jumping on the proverbial grenade, but I also think there may have been just her, you know, asserting something that she wanted to do. And I think that that's, that may end up being a problem next week. Um, interesting couple little, I, I think, potential landmines. Adrian seems frustrated with Eric, who I've sort of uh, painted as mm. fame for, for, you know, a guy who has one entree, right? They're doing – he's doing the scallop and pork with couscous and apparently is needing help with reduction from a guy in Eddie who, by the way – I mean, I want to get your opinion on Eddie um, Hershey. Like Tom and I have a, have a firm disagreement. Um, uh, he calls him unsteady Eddie, always stressed out, kind of a maniac. My feeling is he has appropriate fear in the words of Greg Popovich and that hey, the guy's tense and he's incoherent. Oh, oh, and then, by the Kevin- way, what? You don't have to pander to Hershey, who's a Spurs fan, by using a Spurs line, okay? okay? You're pandering to the audience. There. Uh, all right, all right so, so I'm putting my thumb on the scale. <laughs> but, 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 but uh, I, I, what I see is a chef who is kind of intense, uh, at times panicked, and oh, by the way, when the, all the smoke clears, turns out one of the two or three best dishes of, of the night. So, so I, I think this, I, I listened to your very first podcast, the one on the draft for this season, and then I sent you a text saying, great Uh-oh. choice on Eddie, and you should have taken Nini as your second choice. Thank they you. were my first two you choices. Did. Well, you have one each, but you have one each. So those the, they were my first two choices. I think because maybe this is intuition. I don't know if I could really put it into words necessarily, but just, and again, the, maybe the way they edit the show, it looked like that a little bit to me, but the both of them seemed like chefs. What does that mean? They seem like there needs to, you know, if you're going to commit your life to hiding away inside of a room, most probably without windows with a lot of heat and just stuck in the minutiae of doing something repeatedly and each time you do it, you do it better than the last time, not worse. If you're going to commit to that, there needs to be something, someone would say wrong. I would say there needs to be something broken inside of you. Um, And then we need (laughs) you to be able to celebrate that brokenness. You know, all of my, you know, I'm going to do one of those, all of my best friends, all my best friends are chefs. We celebrate the brokenness, right? So I think to Eddie, there is something very socially strange about that gentleman. Um, <laughs> this is great. Okay. But yeah. it, but yeah. it suits, it's, I mean, he's found his calling because I, I'm not really sure if there's an industry that not only suits, but we celebrate that, you know? So as long as obviously he doesn't do anything wrong and hurt anyone or violent or whatever, and he just doesn't seem to me as that sort of person either. So no, I, I think his madness is very entertaining. What, what I think what, what you're saying here is that the Myers-Briggs test would suggest that there is a certain set of people who are predisposed to be good chefs. That's right. And it's people who who have what they have. So you mentioned about Nina being a control freak. Yes, it's being a control freak, but it's also being aware of it and then learning how to not upset your co coworkers with that control freakness. So that'll be interesting to see how that sort of plays out over these next uh, you know three two or two episodes. But I I do think with with Eddie in particular, to me. Of everyone I've seen there, he's the only person I'd hire so far, I think. And that that appropriate, you know, fear, as you say, I think that's probably part of it. I, I think also what's interesting is watch the way how, you know, Eric Repair responded to, you know, he was almost, it was an endearing thing, you know. Yes, oh, you sounded yeah. crazy and you were laughing. That's how we look at that stuff, you know. We learn to kind of, we realise that you need this little bit of edge or brokenness to do what we do. And we, we celebrate, we really, really do celebrate it in our industry. So it's not a thing we look down upon. It's a thing we celebrate. So I would celebrate that, that strangeness that Eddie has. That was a wonderful explanation. 
All right. So what's but, uh, what, what's going to happen? Give me uh, some predictions on the on 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 the, on the three teams. Okay. Oh, can we can we spend can we spend just a couple minutes talking about the staff here? Because the front of house stuff. The, just the servers, the the yeah. actual servers. So it seemed like a, Adrian took the approach of like, hey, Brian. Fuck you. Like you, you're not even out there. I'm going to go, t- I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to, r- you know, rally these servers. And it felt like she was my CCD teacher again, who is like it while well, we sat around and read the Bible verses, everyone would, she, my teacher would know that th- th- this is by, by the way, just the after school Catholic program that I grew up in. The teachers knew that like, we're not going to pay attention to any of these verses, but if we have to read one paragraph or one page of the, of the verses, then maybe we'll pay attention. So Adrian comes in and says, all right, we have this huge list. Everyone gather around and take turns reading one each step of here so that we all listen uh, to each other and we all figure it out. I feel like she was I feel like she was sticking it to Brian there being like, you know what? This guy wrote up this huge thing and it's not going to work. So I'm going to even double down on this thing and make sure that they read everything and spend all the time on it because it's going to be his fault that he came up with this. And it seemed like with the Kelsey side, she she I think it was Kelsey. She asked who's done it done this before maybe i'm wrong who asked the the servers who's done this before uh i think that guys, actually might have been i think actually actually i don't know i think you're right it might have been kelsey someone asked have you ever uh served before or ever worked in a restaurant before and there was like a smattering of like yeah i guess i have so this this seems like a huge wrench in the whole equation of opening up a restaurant that your staff seems totally underqualified yeah, so I, I think that's probably the producers doing it to them. Um, maybe it's also they've told the service to play it up a little bit, maybe. But I think that um, I have a couple of issues with, I guess it was both head chefs, two head chefs that jump out. I mean, if you say you want to be the executive chef, then be or the head chef, the executive chef. If that's what you say you want to be, then be that. So if the issue is that Brian is uh, not going to deliver what he said he would deliver on time, you should have been across that. You should have been aware of that from the beginning. And we don't reward bad behavior in my industry. So, you know, the reality is that he put his hand up and said that he was going to be in charge of front of house. It's his responsibility. Saving someone is not, you know, you know, jumping in there and doing someone's job for them is not really doing any favors. Your responsibility was to be aware of the fact. So I'm, I'm very caustic today. I had a little bit of a sip in honor of Kentucky of Rittenhouse bourbon. So maybe that's why I'm being extra caustic today. But um, Is it the rye? Yeah. It's yeah. the rye, the rye, the Rittenhouse yeah. rye. But, but, um, but I think that, um, yeah, I, 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 what I would have preferred, honestly, was would have been the head chef to have been the head chef and say, get out of my kitchen. You have a responsibility. Go do your job. And then, I mean, and then if you look at it from a competition point, you know, when that item fails, it's very easy to say, look, this was his responsibility. My responsibility was to be the head chef. I got this to the point where it was acceptable. You know, uh, you know he said he was going to do front of house. He failed in front of house. So I would imagine, you know, putting in the context of the competition, you could pass it off that way. I, I don't I don't like bad behavior being rewarded. And that's what it felt like to me. I, I you maybe you're right. Maybe she was selling him down the river, but it felt to me like, okay, I'll save you. Whereas you should have just said, look, go out there and do your job, sir. Yeah. That's it- that's my counter opinion. No, that's 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 totally reasonable. I I just enjoyed the whole reading of each section. I thought that was so golden. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. You know, maybe maybe I'm really maybe we're all wrong here. Maybe he has written this amazing book that has transformed these you know servers into the greatest servers on the planet. Well, I guess we'll find out next week. It is possible. 
So we have three teams, as Kevin asked you, and then I butted in. What um, what are your predictions here? We have Thistle, Northeast, uh, and Third Coast. Um, well, I, you know, this is a hard question. I, I get the feeling that uh, I have no idea. Well, I mean, it's funny. It's like, a tough I guess one, right? Because we don't yeah. really – I mean, we haven't focused on the food. Like at the end right. of the day, like so, look at these menus. Like like at the as bad as Nini's front of the house, Mattis is, is David, who's been one of the two or three best chefs, is he gonna turn out a lovely duck and a and a, and a red snapper? And if the answer is yeah. yeah, and Kelsey's black buttermilk biscuit gonna be good, like and Justin, I mean I just I don't know about you, but that guy's gonna nail the crawfish bisque, right? I mean like yeah, does it does just- it matter? Yeah, I actually think the, the Thistle name aside, I actually think that it probably, I don't know. I'm leaning between the gray or the blue team, I guess. You know, the blue team being, just because I think the blue team is super strong. I thought that team, Nini, David, Justin, Kelsey, that's a strong team. So I guess maybe that strength will able to pull them through. But I can see, and I'm not just saying this because I guess we're seeing the previews of next week a little bit when the ad, but it does sound like, you know, I'm going to use an official term here. It sounds like a full shit show is about to happen. Like it just feels like all three of those restaurants are going to go down hard. Um, And to be honest, I'm really excited to watch it because, you know, that's the dark sense of humor that we have. Yeah. Kevin, where do you feel, where are you on Pablo right now? Like of all, of all the contestants that, uh, that were in this episode, I felt like I felt the most afraid, most scared for, Nini and Pablo, who are two of our top picks. Really? Yeah. I could see either of those guys going out. Well, look, I mean, we've often said and and that on this show, I mean, I know with all the analytics aside, can you execute a protein? Like, like how many ultimate food eliminations come down to that was overcooked? That was my my lamb was practically raw. And we've already got Pablo saying that his, you know, the second batch of short rib. Uh, braise is, is is not as tender as the first. He didn't really have a chance to taste it with all the components. And I just think that like front of the house disasters aside, and one of the things is I think all at, to, to, to Hershey's point, all three of them look like a disaster. Like it's going to come down to, you know, Pablo's short rib next to David's mm-hmm. red snapper and duck next to Eric's, you know, scallop and pork with couscous. And Eric hasn't misfired a dish yet. Um, and, and I just worry that Pablo, uh, you know, is, is sort of now whether he gets blamed. And here's the problem. Michelle's the executive chef there. So they yep. often put that shit on her. They're not going to put that shit on her. He's next to go. I mean, I, I mentioned Sarah is, is is vulnerable because she's front of the house on a team whose exec chef is is has immunity. But you got to believe that that guy's got both entrees. And if those entrees fail – Especially if Brandon nails his desserts, and I expect he probably will, you know. And uh, I mean, Michelle, what? She's not. She's going to screw up the best one of the best pasta chefs in America is going to screw up sweet pea annalotti when it's her only freaking dish. Like, no. So you start getting down to it, Pablo, whose braise he already doesn't like. I mean, guy's screwed, isn't he? Yeah, yeah I mean. I mean- Assuming that they're in the bottom. Right. Yeah. Because you're, you're assuming that Sarah's not going to run a good for, front of house or Michelle is not going to run a good kitchen. And I feel right. like Pablo, if this was who in that group is going to have the toughest time, 
um, who is most most likely uh, to be to be eliminated? It's I think it's Pablo. But the fact of the matter is, I have I have a lot more faith based on what we've seen right now that Sarah is going to run a good front of house, and then you right. have Nini right. and I you agree. have Brian running the front of house over on the other sides. Um, I'm I'm worried wait, for wait, Nini. I'm and, still and I'm, I'm still weird out. Like I don't I think of the three, Brian seemed. The most capable. He was declaring the sections. I mean, I mean, look, this oh, is. Oh, no, no, that's, that's, that, J.R. Smith seems very capable when you speak to him before a game. I mean, okay. you know. So you're, 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 you, have, you have no confidence in him. I mean, not to go with Bill Simmons. What does he call it? Irrational confidence? Yeah. But Irrational like, exuberance or. Ir- yeah. yeah. A, yes. So, but, yeah. but, but I think that's what I'm saying. I agree with the Sarah thing. I think she's the strongest. And to the point, you know, I guess we we're a little bit confused at the beginning. What I was trying to say to the point, to Kevin's point at the beginning, a really great front of house can pull it, can and does and will pull it together. I think what's interesting is I, I, I can see a real scenario where the blue team goes down super hard because there's a lot of, we haven't even really touched on my other note here, which is Justin seems to be losing his patience with everyone very quickly, yeah. which is, that's also a recipe for disaster, right? So I could see that affecting things as well, like his own ego and his lack of patience, and that could crush that whole show as well. Um, so, you know, if that team goes down, you have arguably the four strongest chefs in the competition going down. So they're going to have to, you know, send one of them out. So I don't know. I think this is interesting. I think they've done – I think maybe this is the lesson for the top show, top chef people. Maybe they should do this earlier and earlier every year, every season. <laughs> because of the chaos. I mean because, I just yeah. – this is my thing. I have no idea why you take the best chef in the competition out of the kitchen when you have somebody <laughs> like Kelsey – and also, often the front of the house person, you pair them with dessert because a it, it, it's a it, that's her thing. B it's it's a less complicated prep. C it comes at the end of the night once the majority of the front of the house responsibilities are complete. So, like this is what I don't understand. Mm, How in the world, this. if you're the blue team, you you comprom- you basically nullify the strength of your best contestant. Kelsey clearly, I think, I mean, if there's front of the house material in that show, I mean, you know, she yep. she she's it. And she's doing yeah. dessert. Like, like, yep. what are you thinking? I think it was a, a little bit of trusting Nina because she's been such a powerhouse in the show. Why does she want it? No, but because I think it, it, isn't it isn't it part of her past? Yeah, she is. To, to her, she's really <laughs> one. Who gives a shit? Yeah, listen, you're the best chef in the competition and you're doing a fucking cocoa nib sorbet. Who gives a shit? And I think, and I, do you know what? To be fair to Kevin's point, perhaps that's how she should be judged ultimately on this. That instead of stepping into the fire, well, I guess front of house is the fire, but instead of, you know, just putting down and saying, I'm going to do an excellent dish, decided to jump out in the front and she would be, you know, possibly judged accordingly. I think, you know. If I were planning a wedding or bar mitzvah, of those twelve people, who do I want as That's my planner? That's a really good question. Kelsey, I, I, that is That's the person I want in my huh. kit, like like doing my systems. Like I That's want Kelsey. What if Kelsey, knew, what if Kelsey knew that? Like, ah, so I go back and forth on this. Whether there is some gamesmanship here. Like, do you think Kelsey is like? There's a little bit of subterfuge there where she's just being like, uh, yeah, Nina, go go for the Yeah, but she's put herself – look, if Kelsey were line chef, that would be fine. If she's playing the whole I'm going to you know, keep my head down and, and 
uh, you know, mm-hmm. de- decrease the probability right. I get eliminated. But my understanding is she's – and actually they never declared it, but I, I, she is exec chef I think. Yeah, I, I, I left it empty because I was unsure. Yeah, I was but, unsure. You know, yeah, I, 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 I get the feeling that – yeah, I, I, the more we talk about it now, I guess you guys have convinced me that the blue team's going down. <laughs> like I, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of seems like that. But you know, it would make sense but, that I, after drafting Tyler Anderson last year, and then having um, Natalie as my first pick, and then having Nini, who's won basically the last two episodes, that she is going to go out. I, I honestly, hang on, hang on, hang on. But but but, you know, don't forget last year the guy who got. You know, booted out to Last Chance Kitchen, ended up winning the whole thing. Yes, so. yes, but I'm just saying that I I have this whiplash problem where I get too high on a, on a on a contestant and then they're they're booted. You know, like Nini Nini might have been the number one power on the power rankings heading into this episode, and right now, I got to be honest, I think she's gone. I think she's wow. I think just like going into this episode, uh, this next episode, I feel the least confident in Nina's standing. Right. Well, can I, can I, okay. Well, can, can I back up that, why that might be such a bad thing? And I've put it high as a call to what Kevin just said is the strongest chef in the competition. My opinion is that she is, we have no evidence that she is. We have evidence that she's the strongest cook in the competition. And, you know, as we've discussed before, there is a difference between a cook and a chef, right? What we know is Nini can make the best food. That's what we know. But is she a great chef? Is she good at organizing and dealing under stress and, and delivering under pressure circumstances? Because what we may see from these next two shows is tremendous cook, less strong at the patience and this and this, you know, the ability to deal with stress and the ability to mentally organize than others, possibly. Mm. And, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna come a very unpopular view here. I think the orange team might win. I just do. I know Brian's the, front the, of the house nonsense, the, yeah. but we got Eddie on a crudo on a New York strip, not over committing. I mean, I, I think, you know, by the way, Brian's ballotine might end up being delicious. You got Eric doing one entree. He has not done any poor food thus yet. A scallop and pork with couscous. Um, Adrian, I think, I, mean, I think very smart with the cheese course, a Madeira poached peach. Like, like that's a good, smart menu that doesn't overcommit. Yeah. Um, Adrian, for all of her, I mean, she, I mean, what do you, how do you rate her as potential expediter? We haven't seen it in full action. So, Hershey, what is your so I was just I was just about well what I was just about to say is and this is a vote towards you know the opinion you just paid. If you look at the names of everyone, who's the calmest human being out of all twelve of these people? And it's far and away, Adrian. She's very calm. She's very you know she doesn't. It would seem like it'd take a lot to really put her under a great amount of stress. So I think you know, as as the expediter, as the as the person calling, as the person overseeing, she's the calmest person out of all twelve people. So I, I definitely think she will be the strongest head chef out of now, out of the three. Now we do. We have seen previews of next week where she's telling like you don't you don't. Yeah, I was t- just going to say wait you a minute. You don't touch the ticket. He touches the ticket. But you consider that a strength of sort of just running an orderly well, kitchen. That's, that, that's, well, that's I, the assertiveness I, I guess, that he gets at. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I don't remember seeing that in the previous. I might have missed that part. But having said that, yeah, I don't see that as necessarily being, you know, the context is important. So we have to, I guess we have to see the context in with that and where that was told. But, um, but yeah, that's, you know, they're under stress. It was essentially, it sounded like the servers were taking cues from Brian instead of taking cues from the exec chef, which was Adrian. So she yeah. was setting him straight and saying, you listen to me. I don't care what he tells you. I am the head chef here. Listen to me. I am the boss. Well, that sounds 
reasonable, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. That sounds fair. Yeah. I mean, I I think. I mean, again, I didn't see it. Maybe she's delivered it in a in a, in a in a bad way, I guess. But it's also, you know, it's okay to have. Let's go back to what Kevin said. It's okay to have appropriate fear. It's okay to have a little bit of fear of your head chef. You shouldn't. They shouldn't be throwing and swearing and and bullying or anything bad. But it's okay to kind of know that look, this person's voice is important. That's what I mean about using your voice. You know, not just sharing, but listen. My voice is important. I didn't say that you can take this dish. Please don't take dishes until I say they're ready. That's 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 a good. I don't know, line in the line in the sand to leave. I think that this is truly fascinating. I think it to I think back to to last year when we had, you know, a similar sort of conversation like this on the pod. And it was kind of a little it was kind of clear and easy to see. I guess it was only one episode, but it was clear and easy to see from the beginning who would win and who would do well. I think this is really exciting television. We have really no idea what's gonna happen. hundred uh, percent. Gentlemen, this has been fascinating. Uh, I am so excited for part two. I got to tell you. Me too, Kevin. This is going to be fun. Um, Hershey, thank you as always for joining us. Gentlemen, that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was great. And um, Tom, we will reconvene next week. I will be recording from Sacramento, California. Yes. And uh, I will be, I think, in Charlotte. Yep, I will be here in Charlotte. Um and Austin, t- hey, there are a couple of top chefs there in Austin, aren't there? Uh, yeah. Well, the guy, what's his name? What's his name? Tyson won a season, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, uh, Kristen Kish, I think, has a restaurant there. Or maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I think there's some top chef restaurants in there in, in Austin. So yeah, Tyson from the Uchi Empire won. Uh, I'm pretty sure won a won a season. Well, I'm so glad you came on, and um, we'll we'll have you back on at some point. Uh, to uh to rehash either restaurant wars or it's always nice to have you on this show so thanks for coming on hershey no no with pleasure thanks gentlemen have uh, have a lovely week you as well Chip. tom looking forward to part two uh we will speak next week any closing mm-hmm. comments uh it should be a really interesting uh episode five I mean, the three way is just unreal because I mean, we 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 can make a case right now for any of the three teams and uh, the disaster looms. And I'm still to me, the headline top of the news stack out of here is best cook in competition. If you want to use Hershey's uh, characterization has consigned herself to Coco nib sorbet and and ruining the front of the house. I mean, this is this is a shocker. An absolute shocker. I am stunned. Stunned. So we will pick this up next week. All right. Take us out, Kevin. For Tom Haberstrow, I'm Kevin Arnovitz. Also for Hershey Ash in Austin, Texas, our restaurant consultant uh, and sage on all things restaurant wars. This is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.